Hey everyone, we just want you to know that this episode contains discussions of disordered eating and weight loss and weight gain, and so if that is something that you are not interested in hearing about right now, we would suggest you skip over this episode, and we will see you next episode. Welcome to Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate Kiriakou. And I'm Molly Fox. And today we're going to be talking about Aubrey Gordon's book, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. And I'm excited. This is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot to talk about. I almost said unpack. We're not saying that anymore. Stop saying unpack. Unpack is dead. <laughs> it's because I want to go on a trip so badly <laughs> that all I can think about is suitcases. <laughs> oh my God, that depresses me. Like, a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I miss I travel. would that I was packing things that I could unpack later. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just over there just, like, packing a suitcase for your eventual next trip exactly always prepared actually though speaking of trips and things i just bought a new swimsuit i have to do that it is it's one of it's 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 not great um i haven't bought myself a nice swimsuit probably ever because of you know body issues which we will dig into in a second um i would also like to say they're expensive and they shouldn't be yes it's they're weirdly expensive this is what I'm going to tell you. I spent $59, and I only bought a bottom. I know! Isn't that the worst? Oh, my gosh. I've been buying swimsuits from Walmart or Target for my entire adult life for that reason, because I can get a bottom for $15 and then a top for $15, and then altogether it's only 30 Yes. Yeah. But this is, like... It will obviously be the nicest swimsuit bottom I've ever had. And it's black, so it goes with, like, all the other tops that I have. So I figured it was, like, a good investment. Can you believe the bullshit I told myself about it? $59 for a pair of underwear to wear <laughs> to the beach. That's a, a pair good of underwear that girl. I can get wet, which I could do with any of my other underwear, too. <laughs> and this, it has, like, the best... I'm gonna... I'll show you a photo when it comes, because it, it is gonna be, like, cheeks out, baby. Like, this is, like, a... <laughs> This is a swimsuit bottom. Okay, can I complain about that for a second? I ordered, I had a mental breakdown yesterday and ordered naturally like eight different swimsuits from Amazon because I was like, I do not want to go someplace and try them all on. And I hate it. I hate it. So I was like, I'm just going to have them all delivered to my house and I will return the ones I do not want. And I (laughs) ordered a bunch, but as I was looking for swimsuits, I was realizing that the newest trend is to essentially have a thong on for your bathing suit. And I'm not interested. I would like my butt to be fully covered because when you get out of the pool and if you aren't constantly adjusting, it's going to become a thong, (laughs) even if it's supposed to be like that cheeky style. (laughs) And I'm just, I'm uninterested, frankly. (laughs) 
completely understand. I am fully interested in that. My butt looks best when you see more of it. When it, my butt is fully covered, it's like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I need my cheeks out for people to be like, yeah, look at that girl. I just yes. don't like the feeling of it, of having to pick my mm-hmm. wedgie out at the pool totally. every five minutes. I'm just like, can we just... Also, it's crazy that I'd wear a bathing suit that is like more scandalous than most underwear that I wear. That's bananas. <laughs> Okay, that's actually my favorite thing. <laughs> You're like, oh, are people are going to see me? Okay. Lay yeah, it all out right. on the line. That is <laughs> Covering this shit yes. up. No way. If somebody's going to enjoy right. it, why would I take that away from them? <laughs> For real. There's actually one last uh, bathing suit bottom story, and then we should talk about what we came here to talk about. Um, a this couple years related. ago, I was... Yeah, it absolutely is. I was in Colorado for my cousin's wedding, and we went to, like, a hot springs, which was amazing. And I was just, like, all... Hang- we were hanging out with my family, and I was wearing this bikini that had... Like, the top was, like, tropical flowers, and the mm-hmm. bottom was just this, like, peach color. And you can flip it. The inside was, like, a blue-black pattern, and the, this outside is peach. And it just looked better with the peach and the tropical. Mm-hmm. And multiple people were like, oh, my God, Molly, I thought you weren't wearing anything on the bottom. Because it, like, blended oh, right with skin, skin tone. <laughs> and I was like, note to self, never wear the peach color again. Like, Or tan a little bit more before you do. Yeah, for real. Jeez. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Does not apply to me, actually, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh, oh God, that's amazing. So funny. Yeah. So, anyway, note well, to self, anyway. don't, don't buy peach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is a good segue into what we're talking about today, which is bodies. Full body <laughs> <Sort> things. <of. laughs> and other what things. What a bummer. I, all week long, I have been thinking over and over to myself, I am so tired of having a body. I when agree. <laughs> can we transcend bodies, okay? Just be souls bumping around. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> Spears of light. Yes. I'm in. I'm all in. Yes, like that thing from, um... Futurama, where it's just like a head on like they have like floating heads in jars. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. Please sign me up. I'll do the clinical trial. I don't care. Yes, <laughs> yes caring for a body, anybody is a lot of work oh, and so much work. Really yeah. annoying most the, of like, the time. Dance I have to do to prevent myself from getting razor burn when I shave and use non-aluminum based deodorant. Oh my god. God. An absolute travesty of justice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I've made this joke to you before, but I'm convinced that if women stop shaving their legs, with all that time we could have cured cancer because it takes way too long to groom our bodies than it should. It does. And I'm in this place of like because my whole life like I've been shaving my legs since I was like 11 or 12 like my parents were not hovery in that way where they were like you can't shave until you're 16 or whatever like I was allowed to do whatever I want I also shave my arms and I have since I was the same age so I am used to my body being like fairly non-prickly in any way I cannot re-enter a sensory experience where I have like texture on my limbs so like even though I understand shaving is bullshit and I don't want to do that anymore. I physically am not capable of handling that sensation on my body. Ironically, oh. texture on your limbs is your album that <laughs> you're dropping. <laughs> that I will be releasing later this year. It's just me screaming at the top of my lungs. It's like a Marina Abramovic inspired art piece. 
oh man God, yes good stuff okay well i guess we should talk about the so... book considering we said we were gonna do that at the top yeah uh okay so i can start with a brief summary as molly mentioned today we're talking about what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by aubrey gordon who is most well known for her anonymous blog where she writes under the pseudonym your fat friend She's also a podcaster and an organizer, and this is her very first book. So good job, Aubrey. That's really cool. Um, I don't know. Writing a book just seems so hard to me. Like, yeah, for sure. Gonna... Especially one like that touches on vulnerable things that you've experienced. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in this book, Gordon confronts the cultural attitudes and social systems that have led to fat people being denied basic needs and civility. She interweaves her personal experiences with research and pop culture criticism in a searing indictment of our biases and prejudices against fat people. Each chapter takes up a different cultural bias or myth from the obesity epidemic, which she argues isn't an epidemic at all because it's based upon the outdated and inaccurate system of measuring BMI or the body mass index, gross, we will get to that later, uh, to the diet industry concern over others' health and what she terms the desirability myth or the belief that fat people aren't sexually desired. Most vehemently, perhaps, she dispels the myth that fat people can just lose weight if they try, that their bodies are a choice, and that because it is a choice, then people should be able to respond to them however they wish, with ridiculing, bullying, and dismissal of their experiences. She asserts that this assumption, rooted in our nation's puritanical belief in meritocracy and self-reliant morality, is present in healthcare, employment, and public spaces, leading to a lack of safety and freedom for fat people. Her last chapter calls for a new view on health, wellness, and bodies, one that includes a movement for body justice, which she describes as, quote, understanding the pressures each of us faces to maintain the sovereignty of our bodies that are uniquely informed by both our identities, in other words, internal and not always visible, and the ways that our bodies present or external based on others' perceptions, unquote. Uh, I'd like to define a few terms before we really get started because she does that at the beginning of her book and I found it really helpful, especially because she's using terms that you may have a different definition for or have used colloquially in other ways. So first and foremost, she uses the word fat as a neutral descriptor for predominantly plus-sized people. Many of us, including myself, are used to shying away from this word because it's been used so often as an insult. But here, Gordon plucks the word from its many negative connotations and uses it simply to denote a body description. Secondly, she describes that there are different experiences on the spectrum of fatness by referring to people who wear clothing sizes of 1x to 3x as small or mid-fat, with those in anything larger as, quote, very fat or larger fat people. Finally, she often mentions straight-sized people throughout the book, which is actually a fashion industry term used to describe people who can purchase clothing at nearly any retail store. These people are sizes double zero to 14. I should also probably note that the average woman's size in the US is a size 16, which I actually did not know before reading this book. So let's get started. Do you wanna start with your key takeaway? Uh, yeah, so I will start with my key takeaway. This is something that I had begun to kind of germinate in my mind and in my consciousness for the last I would say two years but was really reinforced with this book and if there's one thing that I think people need to take away from a book like this it is this concept uh, Gordon talks often about how the health risks that we associate with being fat are much more likely to be caused by the stress shame and discrimination and fear that 
people who are fat experience on a day-to-day basis because of their fatness um, and because of the societal pressure for them to not be fat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I first started to become familiar with this idea that like fat does not equal unhealthy and that the reasons people are fat are, are much more varied than we like have been raised to believe, Mm -hmm. um, in like kind of in two ways. The first was I started to see a lot of intuitive eating stuff on Instagram that I was really interested in. Wait, I'm going to pause you. Describe what intuitive eating is for people who don't know. Oh yeah. Thanks. Um, what I understand it to be is that you do not diet, you you do not restrict things, unless it is something that you have obviously an allergy to, like that you can't eat because it makes you actually ill. But you don't uh, you don't spend a lot of time like calorie counting anything like that. You eat what you your body is telling you it wants to eat, and you eat what you want of it. And usually, when people start doing this after years of dieting they will eat more of the things that they've been restricting for years and they might gain some weight at the beginning, but your body adjusts to the fact that you are no longer restricting it. You're no longer kind of messing with your natural metabolism and your desires for things like ice cream or cookies or whatever it is that you wouldn't let yourself have eventually become much more regulated. And I started doing this a couple of years ago and while I often do eat ice cream every day, I also like don't think about it every day like I used to obsess over things like sugar because I wouldn't let myself have it so I like thought about it constantly Mm -hmm. and now it's like I don't think about it until I'm like oh yeah I guess I'll have ice cream and there's lots of nights where I like it'll it'll be like 10 o'clock and I'll be like well I was gonna have ice cream but I'm too tired now I'm just gonna go to bed and that used to like not be my experience at all I used to just be like constantly thinking about the food that I wouldn't let myself have and intuitive eating is meant to break that cycle so that you're just free of, like, food obsession. Good good thing to kind of bring out at the top of the episode. Um, but the one other thing I wanted to say about these, like, our misconceptions about what causes fatness and also, like, the actual dangers associated with fatness. I had a therapist for a couple of years who is awesome. I would recommend her, but that'd be inappropriate. <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, And she is also a nutritionist. And she and I didn't work together as, like, I didn't need nutrition support. But every so often she would, like, talk about it. And one of the things she mentioned was the fact that there's a lot of scientific data around if if you are worried about sugar or, like, foods that are quote-unquote bad... And at the in the break room, there's, like, a tray of cookies, and you, like, know you shouldn't have a cookie. I'm doing air quotes around shouldn't. Um, but you decide to have one anyway. Your body has, like, a stress-shame reaction that produces cortisol, is um, chemically probably what is being produced in your body, which tells your body to hold on to the calories because it, it's sensing danger. And so it goes into this restrictive mode where it's going to keep everything that you're having in case you're about to, like, starve or in case something bad is about to happen. So it's like a biological function that our bodies have. But if you just approach 
things like cookies or whatever in a much more neutral way where you're like, yeah, I'm going to have that and it's going to be delicious and you go about your day. Your body doesn't have the stress reaction that then keeps a hold of the calories in this in this way. You just have the cookie and you use what your body needs and it's done. And I, I don't want to suggest this, like, that's the way you should start eating food in order to lose weight because that shouldn't be like the goal of our lives but when I started approaching food in that way where I was no longer like oh this is bad and I shouldn't have this and now I feel guilty that I'm having it like I have that experience where like I can just eat what I want and my body doesn't like gain 20 pounds because I ate cookies like that is not right. the experience I have any longer even though that used to be something that I experienced when I was being really restrictive around food so mm-hmm. I, in my experience, it really does help regulate your body. And I feel much more healthy around food and that sort of stuff now that I'm no longer like, ooh, this is bad and I feel guilty. Yeah, to say nothing of all of the brain space that you've freed up of not obsessing over the thing you just ate, yes. which you can't change because you already ate it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, rather, like, something you ate three days ago that you're like, okay, well, that's already been digested by my body and it's already happened, so. Well, and I've had, like, much better experiences just with, like, accepting myself, too. Like, for example, for your wedding, I was a bridesmaid in Kate's wedding, which was fabulous, very fun. Um, Yay! I ordered a, a bridesmaid's dress offline, and I used, like, my measurements, so I was pretty sure I would have get the right size when I got it it was like pretty tight like borderline too tight and I was like well okay I guess I could just like stop eating like a bagel every day and I'd probably be able to fit into this dress by like July not worth it but I was like never worth it want to eat stop eating a bagel every day (laughs) so I literally just sent the dress to my sister and I made her put a corset back in it so that I could then close the dress (laughs) like I was like I don't give a shit I want to eat bagels great it looked great your sister's super talented i mean that's like not what we're talking about but like yeah she is she's super talented anyway recommend my sister everyone recommend (laughs) molly's sister for any seamstress things um (laughs) yeah i think um that's a really good key takeaway and something that i thought about a lot as well because we do have it in our minds kind of two parallel biases against fat people mm-hmm. that cause this this reaction of anti-fatness which the first is what you're talking about with like you know if you're fat you're automatically unhealthy which is ludicrous in a number of ways the first being that we are healthy in a number of different ways and all of the different factors that go into our health whether it's mentally healthy, physically healthy, those are really the same thing. Sexual health, you know, there there are a lot of different ways in which we can consider our health. And that's never what anyone is talking about when they say that a fat person is unhealthy. Yeah. They're really just saying that I, somebody who's completely untrained and have no idea what I'm talking about, think that you're unhealthy. Right. And it's purely perceived by appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's purely are you thin or not, right? It's not actually a measure of your health. Uh, For example, when I was, uh, so I have type one diabetes and as I was struggling with being diagnosed with that, I spent three months with my blood sugars at astronomically high levels, uh, which caused me to lose a lot of weight. And unfortunately, I was very much rewarded for that in society. Like 
every person that I talked to was like, oh my God, you look so good. You look great. What are you doing? And the thing about that that's so tough is that you recognize that other people were policing your body without your consent Mm -hmm. and that they always had been. Uh, And you just didn't realize it until you lost or gained weight and then everyone felt the need to comment on it. Yeah. But the other side of that is that by any actual medical metrics, my body was dying. Yeah. So I was not healthy. I was actually poisoning my organs. So just by the fact of me being thin absolutely had nothing to do with me being actually healthy. Yeah, 100%. I I have not had that same experience where I was like literally dying, but um people were like you're so thin. I hope not. I hope nobody else yeah, has that experience to be clear. No one should. <laughs> but in uh in high school and then again throughout like college, I like had pretty bad disordered eating and there was like a period where I started doing something called whole 30, which it in its essence is like can be helpful for people who are trying to figure out what foods are causing them inflammation um because you you remove a lot of inflammation standard foods out of your diet and it's sort of like an elimination diet but you do it for 30 days and you kind of reset everything but in practice it really it's just a restrictive way of eating that probably causes most people more harm than good and for me i did it for like about 30 days not perfectly because one of the things you can't have is alcohol which was like (laughs) yeah right 30 days without a drink (laughs) good luck (laughs) not if i'm not eating bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i after that like i had lost enough weight that people started commenting on it and so i was like really motivated to keep doing it and then instead of like going back to normal eating i basically just kept eating in this super restrictive way indefinitely and Mm -hmm. so looking back it's hard to know that like when I was really starving myself that's when people were the most like congratulatory about how good I looked and it's the same kind of feeling of like so when I was the most unhealthy I have ever been (laughs) you guys that's when you thought I looked the best (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) yeah it's also like yeah, it's also like, um, in my case, there was nothing that I was doing that made me lose weight. Like, it just happened to me because my body decided to attack mm-hmm. itself and it my body wasn't functioning properly. So I remember one of my friends asking me, you look like you've lost a lot of weight. Are you, like, working out a lot or, like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm sleeping a lot. And, I like, at the time, I realized, like, oh, that's that's weird. That's, that's like not an appropriate response. <laughs> that's, that's really strange. Um, but it's one of those things where when you're in the midst of it and it's happening to you gradually, mm-hmm. it's not something that you flag as being abnormal because you, you adjust to it as it goes on. Yes. But anyway, none of that is really what I wanted to okay, sorry, sorry. talk about because that's <laughs> completely different. Um, not completely different. It's related, yeah, but yeah. Um, The other thing I think that is like a parallel through line to this is that Americans equate, and we talked about this a little bit in the Jesus and John Wayne episodes, but Americans equate being fat with being immoral and not Mm -hmm. being able to restrict or have control over oneself, Mm -hmm. which is tied to these like puritanical beliefs and the foundation of, you know, the pilgrims and... Mm -hmm. 
I think it's a ridiculous thing, obviously, but it is very pervasive and it does make people feel like they're a, a worse person if they're not thinner. And she talks about this in the book a lot that we have genetics that we can't escape and there are bodies that are larger than other bodies and there's nothing really that you can do about your genetics they just are a part of you mm-hmm. and that should be fine you know mm-hmm. we, we we don't need to police other people and tell them that they need to be uh different mm-hmm. just because they were born with different genes and a different metabolism than somebody else yeah and additionally the the point i want to highlight in my key takeaway is that Aubrey Gordon lays out incredible evidence for the fact that all of the campaigns we have around the obesity epidemic, et cetera, is creating so much trauma in people's bodies that that is making people fat. You're like genetically mm-hmm. altering people's bodies through trauma. And then it's like continuing generationally. So like, yeah. yes, our country is weighs more than it used to like a hundred years ago. And instead of, pointing to the like food industry which yeah there's problems with that it's probably much more likely that the reason we are collectively gaining weight is because we are collectively traumatizing ourselves around weight yes and back to my earlier point about the body mass index or the bmi she talks about in the 19 in 1998 the national institute of health actually redefined bmi categories lowering the threshold for americans to be classified as overweight or obese so overnight millions of americans suddenly became obese or became overweight which shows you just how arbitrary these categories are and how little nuance is considered when labeling somebody with these these categories. And speaking of labels, do you have the part of the book where she talks about the Latin meaning of the word obese? Oh, I I don't. I I remember what you're talking about. Um, she was talking about in I think it's towards the beginning of the book, and she's citing the different phrases that she's going to use in the book, and she says that she will use the word obesity sparingly because. The Latin root of that word, I'm not going to get it perfect, but it's something similar to one who ate themselves fat, which, so inherent to the term obesity, you are blaming the person because of their eating for the size of their body. And Mm -hmm. so to use the word, although sometimes we have to, because it's a term that we use in society, but obese is not a way you should ever describe a fat person. That's super fucked Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. And it's really uh, telling to her point that there are structural systems that are anti-fat when those are the terms that are used in the medical community and are used when you go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And those terms aren't interrogated as to how to be more inclusive at all. Well, and they're like, there's to go back to like beefing on the BMI, because I fucking hate the BMI. (laughs) Fucking it's a ridiculous it. thing. The person who created the BMI said, hey, actually, this isn't a very good tool. It's just like what we have right now. And then everybody took it as the gold standard for no reason. And it's still being used. Yeah. And it like one of the biggest issues with the BMI is that it doesn't take into account muscle mass. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what yours is, Kate, but mine qualifies me as obese, which is it, it is objectively incorrect 
and it's an insane thing to like use this scale to like de- determine people's bodies when you're not even taking into account like half of what makes up someone's body mass like what are right. you talking about it's crazy <laughs> right. and i hate the bmi because i've been personally victimized by <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been victimized by the BMI. Everyone Everyone's hand should be raised. Chair. Everyone should have two hands raised. And while for me, the BMI labeling me as obese is just kind of like a, a it pisses me off and it's like wrong. For other people, it, it, it doesn't affect me in society because no one would look at me and think that, oh, she's fat. So it doesn't affect me in the workplace or at medical offices or whatever. But people use, like, the BMI, if you are, like, qualified as obese on the BMI, to, like, deny you certain things, to, to like, charge you higher premiums for health care, to, like, do all these mm-hmm. things that you're, like, actually having a serious consequence with based on something that doesn't take your muscle mass into account. It's crazy. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it is. You. Fuck it the is BMI ridiculous. forever. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say if, if you wanted to do your, your key takeaway. Yes. So my key takeaway is what I perceive to be the thesis of her book because she kept coming back to it. I think she is making a distinction here between external experiences and internal experiences quite a bit and I think it's a really important distinction so my key takeaway was that fat people's challenges in the world aren't just internal like insecurity body body positivity or Mm -hmm. self-image concerns like many thin people perceive them to be but rather their experiences of the external world are ones in which the world is not built for accepting of or accommodating to their bodies Mm -hmm. and This is something that she talks about in a number of ways. We've just touched a little bit on the medical side. She also does a deep dive into the research around employment and that fat people, especially fat women, are paid less than their counterparts and also more likely to be discriminated against in the workplace and also just straight up not hired in the first place. Uh, She also talks about it in terms of other things, for example airlines where if you are a person who is fat enough that you would you would have trouble sitting in an airline seat which frankly i have trouble most of us have trouble sitting in an airline seat so that's like not even a measurement (laughs) um but if you're if you're somebody who uh, wouldn't comfortably fit Mm. i suppose Uh, whatever that means, Uh, into an airline seat, sometimes airlines will require that you buy a second seat for yourself so that no one else is sitting next to you. And a lot of times they will require that you buy this the day of, at the day of price, which is so infuriating. I, I read that and I had known because I'm a tall person, I'm 5'11", and so I have very much recognized and felt the fact that airline seats are getting smaller because I have no knee room. And to hear all of that and to watch her lay it out that um, seats have gotten, you know, three inches less as Americans have actually, uh, our average size has gotten bigger. Uh, It's all just for profit. And it's so infuriating that they can't just make seats that are comfortable for real people like why are you doing this i know the answer is just to be able to fit more people on the plane and profit more but it's 
The answer is capitalism. Irritating. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is capitalism. It's uh, always the culprit. Yeah. The the main villains of this podcast are capitalism and the evangelical church. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I will Just always to throw shit on that, that in there. <laughs> I'm always gonna gonna dig in. Uh, this is my podcast. I can hate whoever I want. <laughs> I would also like to throw in the healthcare industry. <laughs> yes, yes, good. We'll good. keep adding Bye. to the and the patriarchy. <laughs> everything everything's the enemy of the pot uh, okay um yeah well and to piggyback no i'm just kidding i'm not gonna say that and to <laughs> to drill down on your points about airlines uh it, there's also like arbitrary standards like you said you couldn't even give a good explanation of like customer size what does that mean and the, the airlines mm-hmm. are it's just like based on what the flight attendants decide the day up sometimes it's like yeah. You you have no control over it. If someone perceives your body to be too big, quote unquote, to be on the airplane, they can remove you from the flight and not refund you. Like there's, they yeah. have, a, yeah, with a really no horrible policies. Yeah, and as you mentioned, a lot of times it's up to your co-passengers mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't trust these people to no. be kind. Like, no, when people are traveling, they're at their most irritated and often at their cruelest and Mm -hmm. so yeah that is incredibly anxiety inducing you know she talks about how she often just chooses not to fly and she doesn't fly very often because the experience is so traumatic and so triggering even if she is able to make it through on the flight okay that it's just not worth it for her which is just makes me so incredibly sad yeah like so much of the world is like blocked off to you because not because you did anything wrong but because the world has decided that you did something wrong which is yeah even if somebody is fat because they choose to be they are allowed to do that it's their choice it's their body leave them alone (laughs) thank you for doing that i tried to express that like three times and i couldn't get it out yes that's the point that even if you chose it, you still have every right to be offered an airline seat. Like, you still have every right to be treated with the civility and dignity of someone who is thin, even if you choose to be fat. I, I think Michael Hobbs, who is a reporter, a writer, and a podcaster, and is also gay, has uh, talked about this in terms of queerness, that even if being gay is a choice, who cares? Like, they should be allowed to make that choice because the choice that they made is not bad. There's nothing bad about being gay. There's nothing bad about being fat. But again, that is the anti-fatness, right? Like, that's the anti-whatever sentiment. Well, you can't convince people in our society. I mean, you can, but it's really difficult to convince people in our society that being fat isn't bad because they will start citing all these health They start from that assumption. And... so it's that is the reason why it's so difficult to like just be like let them be whatever they want to be if they want to be fat they're allowed to be because everyone's like no it's not healthy and it's just like this whole thing which is okay can we talk about this this may be one of your quotes and it may take us into one of your quotes but i want to talk about melongate please let's talk about about it's not one of my quotes so you're good to go Okay, so Melongate is what we've termed it. There's a story in this book in which Aubrey Gordon recounts a time in which she was minding her own business, grocery shopping. She had put a couple of items into her cart, one of which was a melon. 
she turned around to go and get something else and she had noticed that a woman was staring at her and the woman came to her cart took the melon out of her cart and said this has too much sugar for you i'm doing you a favor and put the melon back and this was a horrifying story to me mm-hmm. for a number of reasons obviously it's it's terrible mm-hmm. it's traumatic mm-hmm. she was just trying to live her life and someone couldn't help but comment on her body and how it is and the other part of it is that she was so proudly ignorant because as a type 1 diabetic let me tell you the carbs in a melon are among the lowest of any fruit so she wasn't even right you guys she was so proudly ignorant and so proudly wrong and terrible to this person that it just made me just beyond angry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it will and you were saying like that this woman was had had the audacity to like comment on Aubrey's body which was like she took it beyond commenting she interfered with someone a stranger's life enough to take something out of their grocery cart and be like you can't have this uh, I would have called the police <laughs> <laughs> as a white woman honestly as a white woman who can call the police yeah, exactly. this is one time to weaponize i, I would have called the police like i was stunned by that i and yeah i i just i don't know what i would have done in that situation but i had the same feeling that we had a lot reading um amber ruffin's book about like mm-hmm oh my god, I can't believe someone would have the audacity and the ignorance to do something that horrible. Yeah. And I was just like, it just made me want to cry. I was just like, I don't know how... And the thing is, is throughout the book, she has a number of stories that are equally horrible. Actually, one of my quotes is related to one of them. Should I just go into that? So one of the quotes that I had pulled... Sorry, let me flip to it here. Uh, This was a really tough story, I think. She outlines a lot of horrifying stories in this book that are incredibly painful. In this one, she writes about a time that she was coming home from work late and walking to her car, and a man started following her, which is a worse nightmare for a lot of women when you're alone in the dark and a man starts following you. And then he proceeded to tell her more than once that... Quote, no one will ever love you looking like that, unquote. And I just can't believe that someone would say that. But of course, that's my thin privilege talking because I've never been uh, anything other than that for the most part. So that was horrifying to me. But then I think right after is what I want to talk about. So... She was rightfully terrified and traumatized from this experience because it's so infinitely cruel. Mm-hmm. But the part that I want to focus on is what happens to her right afterwards. So here is the actual quote. She says, I do not tell anyone what happened until finally, weeks later, I work up the courage to disclose these moments to thinner friends. When I tell them, I am met with the reaction I fear, a battery of questions and rejections, a hypnic jerk that keeps them from settling into the difficult truth of things. What were you wearing? What did you say to him? Did he look like an addict? Was he homeless? End of quote. 
So I think this is really important because she's talking directly to straight-sized people that when you have friends who are fat or just larger than you and they tell you about their experiences of the world, you need to believe them because essentially you're re-traumatizing them with a different kind of trauma of saying that didn't really happen to you or that didn't happen the way you thought it did. Well, and the underlying thing that she um, highlights is the fact that it reveals the bias of thin people who can't believe that a, a man would like cat call or fat call a fat woman, that they're like so mm-hmm. inherently undesirable that when you're telling your thin friends about this, they can't believe you. And that yeah. is like, Oh God, the, the pain that you would feel as a fat person trying to like own your own experience. Mm. Especially because presumably these are people you trust and who you love and who you hope love you back. I was just going to say, it's kind of like the feeling you were describing when you were dying and people were like, you look so amazing. Realizing (laughs) that people were paying attention to your body and having thoughts about it, whether subconsciously or not, before enough to notice that you're thinner and to congratulate you for that. It's the same kind of thing where it's like, you're realizing that these people who you love and trust have all these thoughts about your body and that it's not desirable and that it's Mm -hmm. not good enough, et cetera. And uh, even though it's like a bias that people have kind of inherently and unless they address it and work through it, it's not like they're choosing to have the bias. It's still incredibly painful to realize that the people closest to you think that about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And without your consent to do so i didn't ask you to police my body i didn't ask you to take notes on whether or not i've lost five pounds yeah i don't want you to do that i don't do that uh so i certainly don't need you doing it you know yeah uh yeah i think i think a lot about ad bryant who is uh on saturday night live she's a comedian she's the funniest person on saturday night Live. i love her She had an interview one time, I believe, with Terry Gross when she had come out and starred in the TV series Shrill, which was originally a memoir by Lindy West. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, she's a fat person and she has talked about that often and that she remembers or has many memories of being a young person and being like, I don't know why everyone thinks that my body is so bad. I, I kind of like myself. Mm And that's actually a very radical thing for a young woman because there is kind of an inherent expectation that you don't like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I remember being a young person and realizing how many women who I loved and respected and thought were so cool, like, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's on TV or Mm -hmm. just like people in my community, whatever didn't like themselves or didn't like their bodies and how that devastated me because I was like what are you talking about you're so cool you know or like you're you are so beautiful and how sad that that is well and as a young child I I did not perceive people's bodies as fat or thin until I was probably Mm -hmm. like six or eight when I first started having people comment about my body So it it Mm -hmm. was like before that, I just thought people were beautiful. Like I would take them in as a whole and be like, wow, you're so, but as I started being critiqued for my body, I started like learning how to see that in other people and reducing them to their parts instead of like seeing them as a whole being. And 
Mm-hmm. It's so the point I'm making is that it's definitely something we learn to do and to like yeah. cons- c- categorize in people. Which is a little bit easier to swallow because then we can learn to undo it. Yeah. So there's always yeah. that. <laughs> definitely. It reminds me of that part in Mean Girls where Katie is like talking, the main character is like talking to the other girls and they're all complaining about their bodies in front of the mirror and she has the commentary, I didn't know there were so many things to be wrong with a body. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. For real. Well, it's just such a like perfectly written scene. Like quote unquote wrong with the body. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I have gotten for, I don't comment on people's bodies. I, I try not to do that in any way anymore. Even if it's to be like, wow, you look so good. You've lost weight because that is not a compliment mm-hmm. as we have both learned personally. <laughs> yes, we have. Um, so I try not to do that. Even when I know the person has tr- been trying to lose weight and wants that kind of a compliment. Um, and the best piece of advice I have gotten about like commenting or not commenting on people's bodies is unless it is something that someone can change in five minutes, like something in their teeth or their, like some crazy (laughs) piece of hair that's falling out of their ponytail, whatever, unless they can change it in five minutes, do not comment on it. Yeah. Full stop. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. That's the whole thing. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a, that's a change that I've made in my adult life. And I just want other women to know I am not participating in the patriarchy anymore and I'm yes. not doing it you yes. guys yeah that and I the think it's something that's like women do have to kind of come up with a game plan because so many women in my life are still on that like my life goal is to lose weight my I my mm-hmm. ultimate purpose is to have a smaller body and I am off mm-hmm. way off that train but you have to have an approach of without hurting the other person's feelings to like, I, I'm not going to congratulate you for making your body smaller anymore. I don't think that that is something worth congratulating a person for doing, but I also Mm -hmm. don't want to like shame you for still being trapped in diet culture. Cause that again, we know shame is the least effective tool in the arsenal. Does not help. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's worth like kind of coming up with strategies for, when someone asks you to enter into a space where you are talking about bodies like that Mm -hmm. to have a way of being like you know what I actually don't like to do that anymore yeah I agree I think I um, yeah I have tried at times to even practice Mm -hmm. if I know that I'm gonna see somebody who either is dieting or is very much on the wellness train wellness is in quotations here uh (laughs) um that like practice responses because i know that it will come up Mm -hmm. and i i don't want to come off as rude or dismissive but i also do not want to participate and so it is kind of hard though to to find that balance and to let someone know that you still care about them but that you're not interested in having this conversation with them unless it's a, a different kind of conversation yeah exactly uh I, and I definitely think it's something that takes practice. And I have done, I've done it poorly many times where I've gone too far on the side of like shaming someone for like still participating in the system. It's easy to do when you've been like so badly hurt by a system to like, it's kind of the way I like approach evangelical stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have a lot of empathy right now for people who are still like really trapped in that system because I'm so fucking angry with that system. <laughs> it is it does take some distance though. You're yeah. right. Like if you've been harmed by a system in any way, it does take 
some processing on your own Mm -hmm. alone away from that system to be able to come back and then reopen your empathy to it yeah and be gentle to people it's very hard yeah yeah so do you have a quote you want to talk about uh so i have a couple of critiques of this book too that i want to talk about that i think are important in understanding the nuance of this entire topic um on page 54 i'm gonna read a quote that she has this is the final chapter of her book, which I actually had the most issues with this chapter. Um, and I'll, I'll explain some of those. But in this chapter, she opens it by imagining a world in which things like the size of your body are no longer taken into account as to your worth and your morality, etc. So she's imagining a world that is much more body neutral than the one we exist in. And she has this quote that says, In this world, bodies are not believed to be meritocracies, and thinness is not understood to be a crowning achievement. Like hair color and height, our size is a simple and uninteresting fact about each of us in that world. So, couple things here. (laughs) Um, I think what she does often in this book that could use some work is that she collapses fatness and attractiveness into the same thing. And in our society, fat often does equal unattractive, but unattractive Mm -hmm. does not always equal fat. There are lots of people that society thinks are quote unquote unattractive that are not fat. And what Mm -hmm. I think Gordon does in this book too often is kind of collapse them into one thing. And she doesn't talk and maybe enough or, or distinguish between the fact that people who are beautiful have way, way more privilege in our society than anyone else. And it doesn't always, it isn't always attached to their fatness. Like it often, it's, it's a separate thing. Um, but the other thing that I want to point out that is not working for me in this is that she says, like hair color and height, our size is simple and uninteresting. Both hair color and height are incredibly fraught and meaningful in our society. Mm-hmm. We will never live in a society where people's appearances are not interesting. It is biologically yeah. impossible for us to not care at all what other people look like. And I mean, how many times have we heard that blondes have more fun and that like men who are shorter than 5'11 are like not worth dating? Like this is deeply fraught in our society and forever will be. And mm-hmm. I felt like she takes all this incredible research she's done and then she kind of boils it down to this thing where she's like imagine in a a world where no one murders other people and it's like girl I can't imagine a world like that it will (laughs) never happen and I don't really see the point of like taking it to the pie in the sky thing of like okay impossible though (laughs) like I don't know what to tell you so I I struggled with that because it was like her ultimate conclusion to me feels very okay well I don't know how to help you with that because human beings will always on some level care what other human beings look like yeah i i hear your critique i think two things first of all you're absolutely right on the uninteresting fact thing i mean just ask any black woman how much people care about their hair i mean come on that's a ridiculous statement i can also tell you as a 511 redhead that those are the two things that people comment about me the most and and do so every time i meet them um which, again, it would be nice if 
you know, someone noticing something about you when it has these historical connections is always treated like, oh, you're tall. Um, and that's like, okay, now we're past that and mm-hmm. we can move on mm-hmm. rather than like, you're fat. And also, let me tell you all of the ways you shouldn't be fat. Yes. So I think that there's like, I, I think her phrasing is poor, mm-hmm. but I also think that I think she's arguing that these things even if they are noticed, are not dwelled upon, or do not have the connotations that fatness does. Yeah. Well, and that don't come with the, like, discrimination. Because while I think hair color Mm -hmm. and height are obviously very fraught, they are not discriminated against. Like, if you have brown hair, you'll never meet a doctor who's like, I'm not going to treat you because you're a brunette. Like, that's (laughs) insane. So, like, I completely agree with that aspect of the point she is making that, like, Fatness should no longer be a thing that our society is able to, like, police and discriminate against you for. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah, I I think, so actually I had pulled uh, the paragraph that happens on, like, the the next page, which is funny. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of wanted to talk about that. Uh, It's page 157. I don't Mm -hmm. know why I'm telling anyone that. They don't care. Uh, (laughs) she, She, as Molly mentions, describes this this world and in she says in that world you can see me my body does not make your built-in ego boost a reassurance in parentheses at least i'm not that fat on end parentheses your uncomfortable denial sweetie no you're not fat your cautionary tale or the outlet of so much body-based anger and angst my body is the vessel that brings me to you yes and it is also an important part of who i am it informs my experience in important ways, and in that world, you understand and respect that experience. You only claim it as your own if it is, and if your experiences are shared. We see each other, tenderly hold the young shoots where experiences grow apart, and work to build a world as gentle as our friendship. In that world, I can see you, and I can trust you. Let me trust you. So that quote I had pulled because I think that's the core of what she's saying in this last chapter. I love reading memoirs, as we probably know at this point, because we've read how many of them. (laughs) Um, And even though I read a lot of memoirs about experiences that aren't similar to my own, I love finding the messages the authors are saying to me specifically, because I think there are usually two messages, one for people who can relate to their experiences and one for people who can't relate but are trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this quote sums up the latter um, for perhaps thinner people that she is saying, hey, we may have shared experiences and we can hold each other's trauma in that and and see it and validate it. Mm -hmm. But I also challenge you to recognize the places where our experiences diverge. And I really liked that message Mm -hmm. because you're right that we're never going to get to a world that's as idealistic as the one that she kind of lays out. Yeah. But I do think that we can all individually and collectively be better about recognizing our differences and accepting those and then being there for people who are having challenges because of those differences. Absolutely. And well, yeah, I definitely don't think that the kind of utopia she's describing is almost even worth like conceptualizing in the book that she's doing because it's kind of like 
you take it so far beyond the realm of reality that it it frustrates me more than it encourages me or like empowers me but she does bring it back to like here are some very concrete things that we can do to and Mm -hmm. she acknowledges like i know we'll never get there but here's where we can start Mm -hmm. and that i think yeah we can absolutely dismantle some of these systems and the more people like you and i that get radicalized out of diet culture that like (laughs) this is how we do that like we're burning diet books people (laughs) yeah like should you and i ever have kids like our kids will not be raised to believe that their bodies are what give them value and and that thinness is the ultimate goal like obviously we will have broken that traumatic legacy within our own upbringing of someone should we do that even if society is still, like, fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, it will be. But, um, yeah, I totally agree that, like, she, in that paragraph, does a really good job of, of acknowledging straight-sized people like you and I share some of the experiences that she's discussing, um, but we also have a responsibility to recognize that we have never experienced the kind of discrimination that she has experienced no one has ever taken anything out of my cart because i was too fat to eat it like that's Mm -hmm. or i've never had to pay for an extra airline seat or or been uh kicked off of a flight so Mm -hmm. while i have experienced fat-based trauma some of what she describes in this book i have never been truly discriminated against because of my size and i think that's a really important Mm -hmm. thing for straight sized people to understand because when I was reading the book I definitely had moments of feeling like clouded by what she was saying because I was like but I have felt that Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to keep in mind that like just because we have felt some of the things that she describes it doesn't mean that we have borne the same burden that she has Mm -hmm. she is kind of laying out a challenge there to have us interrogate our past behavior and think about are there ways that I've contributed to this problem when I've sat down with someone a woman or a man who is clearly you know almost twice my size and said wow I hate my thighs how disgusting are they you know (laughs) like you know things like that there was a line where she had said I know that people who are grappling with what it means to be thin and going through this don't mean to hurt me when they say things like that, but they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of it, too. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely done that. Like, I remember years ago, my sister told me this thing that, like... So in high school, I was, like, a fairly toxic person, as we all are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I was especially, like, concerned about my size. And I made this comment to my sister once about how much I, I, there was this girl that I knew that I hated and I was like making a mean comment about her, the size of her butt. And my sister told me years later that she was like thought in that moment that if Molly thinks that girl's butt is too big, like what does she think about mine? And in, when I was saying that shitty mm-hmm. thing to Hannah, like I, that didn't occur to me at all. Like I wasn't, that's not what I was trying to do, but it was like, yeah, fucking course. That's how you would feel like, if you're mm-hmm. looking at someone else's body, it would follow that you're looking at other people's bodies and thinking just as terrible things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, lesson learned. <laughs> Stop being shitty. <laughs> I think there are those things that stick with us for years and years that the other person completely has forgotten about, right? Yeah, totally. And that can be really, really hard. Yeah, but it's it just goes to your point that, like... I think many straight-sized people who are traumatized by weight things 
use people who are bigger to make themselves feel better mm-hmm. often to that person's face by saying something about their own body mm-hmm. and disparagingly about their own body in this way that like if there's like a fat audience then I can be the superior thin person even though by society standards I might not be in this context I am and like taking advantage of that is a gross thing that many straight sized people myself included have done mm-hmm. yeah I think it's kind of as we were talking about earlier uh, ingrained into you as a young woman and you have to really work to pick it out like obviously for some people more than others it's ingrained but I think our society does it pretty well on its own and then of course there's like family and community dynamics that also change the spectrum of how much you're hearing that and things like that yeah I think especially for people who grew up in the 90s where like the body standard was people who were experiencing yeah eating disorders and like heroin addiction it like that was literally the body beauty standard for women, which was like, huh? (laughs) I don't know how we survived that, but I'm glad we did. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that there are a lot of people who did not survive it because of their eating disorders or other, you know, drug use, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. Also Instagram just in general. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so did you have a question for this? I do. Do you have one? Okay. I do. I don't... I think we've kind of covered it a little bit, but yeah. All right, well, I'll ask you mine, and um, this just kind of illustrates how deep the parasite of diet culture has, like, gotten into my brain in a way that, like, it'll probably never completely leave, but I'm... When I was reading this book, I would notice several times while she's talking about all these like anti-fat things there was probably like 20% of my brain that was like focusing on various parts of my body like that is always happening to me almost continually and I would be like noticing the way like my body looked when I was sitting and be like not very happy with it whatever and I would just be like amazed that I could be reading a book about anti-fatness and like 20% of my brain was being like anti-fat to my own body and I was just like Jesus Christ so my question for you is how aware do you feel on a day-to-day basis of your own body? I feel incredibly aware of my own body on a day-to-day basis because I have to be. Mm. Um, Part of having an autoimmune disease or having a disability at all means that you really have to be in tune to how you feel. But I think I've gotten better in my adult life at like loving my body and not critiquing it in terms of how it looks but rather how I feel mm-hmm. and like am I feeling okay right now kind of questions um but do I think about my body often yes absolutely every you know every time that I grab for my insulin pump every time that I eat anything yeah. um every time I think about eating anything <laughs> yes a hundred percent yeah totally uh, yeah I just I I am aware that I'm very aware of my body because of, like, leftover disordered eating things and, like, growing up in the heroin chic era of the 90s Um, in a way that, like, I doubt I will ever, like, fully be free from. And it, like, has gotten less and less over time, which is really Mm -hmm. lovely. And as I am confronted with more and more images of, like, what 
women's bodies really do look like and it's okay that mine looks like the way that it looks and that's truly normal and nothing to be ashamed of that all helps mm-hmm. me be like more regulated in my sense of my body yeah for me I think it's a lot of gratitude mm-hmm. like when I look at my mm-hmm. body and I'm like shit you just worked out for 45 minutes <laughs> and you still feel strong and you can walk up the stairs yeah. like girl good yeah. for you you know totally. like things like that I think are are really important to like my daily um mental mm-hmm. mindset of mm-hmm. like of of how I treat my body how I feel um how like I I can just be appreciative of everything that it does for me when I'm not even thinking about it because there's so much that I have to do manually that I'm like oh my gosh can you believe that our bodies just do things like yeah. how cool is that like and so yeah it does hurt me a lot when other people are so harsh to their bodies because I just want to give them a hug and say girl or you know dude do you even know how much your body can do like you had a baby or like you know you you ran a marathon or like who cares none of that you you are existing right now and your body is doing so much to allow you to even sit on the couch right now that you're not even aware of yeah I, I I totally agree and I think there's this weird duality that like probably most definitely most women like I know men experience this too but women are particularly maligned by diet culture um we have this duality where like we can look at our friends and be like no your body is perfect the way it is it is valid it like your body is doing the thing your body is supposed Mm -hmm. to do and then turn around at ourselves and be like fuck you (laughs) like like, crazy how both of those things can like exist in the same space but like oh boy do they (laughs) (laughs) oh they do Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, my question was that as I was reading this book, I was thinking a lot about how I can be better and Mm -hmm. um, be a better ally to people who have different bodies than my own and what body justice could mean. So we talked about this a little bit in terms of just like not commenting on people's weight or their appearance or things like that. But what is one thing that you currently do or hope to do moving forward that you think would progress the body justice movement and that other people might be able to adopt to? Like, oh, I could I could start doing that. That's a great question. I felt I'm going to use the word convicted, even though that's a religious leftover relic from my time in the church. I felt convicted. So is the word relic. <laughs> oh my god. Help. Love Get it. me out of here. <laughs> um, that's so funny. Do you want to take communion together? <laughs> okay. Um, one of the things that I felt convicted about and, and really know that I can and should do better on is she talks in various parts about the way like fat bodies are not just like treated poorly they're also made fun of constantly and while I'm very aware in my life of like jokes about race or gender or sexuality etc I I don't care as much or I haven't cared as much about jokes that are aimed at like fatness um I think I've gotten more aware of that. Like, often when people talked about Donald Trump, they would talk about his fatness as if his fatness made him bad. And it was like, no, bitch. Like, he is bad, period. The fatness has nothing to do with it. Like, (laughs) 
So he, he, if you can't think of another reason why you dislike him, then you are severely misinformed. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I know lots of people who still very casually talk about fatness as if it is equals badness and will joke about calling people fat or doing those sorts of things. And I, going forward, would like to have a strategy for gently informing them of the fact that, like, it's, it's really not appropriate to, like, talk about fatness as if it isn't an immoral thing or, like, that's the thing that mm-hmm. makes someone bad or... Mm-hmm whatever even when it's done in jest because that is one of the most powerful tools we have to dehumanize people is like making fun of them so Mm -hmm. that is something that happens regularly in life that we can all be more well prepared to confront when it happens in when we're in that space i love that i think that's really helpful i was thinking kind of of like uh, you know when somebody does say, oh, you look like you've lost weight, trying to find a gentle way of saying, I haven't, but I feel healthy. And it's, you know, but we're like, it's none of your business or we don't have to talk about weight. That's boring. Or, you know, something that's like a little bit of, um, kind of the opposite side where like my body being congratulated for being the way that it is, because that's not right either. So absolutely. Yeah. And I, you don't want to like accept the compliment because it's like, I actually don't, it's not a compliment. Yeah. This isn't a compliment, but I, I have found that my approach with that is often like, I, I'm not doing anything, but that makes people feel like, oh god this bitch can just eat whatever she wants and it's like that's not what I'm trying to communicate to you like that is true because I do eat whatever I want and I have a good relationship with my body however Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that is not why my body is the way that it is like I am yeah and I don't want to like continue accepting the like thing as a compliment and yeah I I don't know what the answer is I'm gonna do a lot of googling and see if I can find something that I like yeah like like a a good hey, buddy, we don't have to talk about weight. That's really boring, and it hurts people. Yeah, just... (laughs) I'm going to get, like, one of those little, like, paperclip. You remember the paperclip from, like, Word? (laughs) It's going to be like that. I see you want to talk about weight. Let's not. (laughs) Oh, for real. Let's talk about something else. You want to talk about books? I do. Well, and, like, one other thing that I'll mention in terms of, like, equipping ourselves to be better allies to people struggling with, like, anti-fatness and a variety mm-hmm. of ways uh Aubrey Gordon has a podcast as well that I think we're going to mention in, in a minute here but um she has talked about her own experiences with eating disorders and she has talked about a, a, an approach to helping people with eating disorders is sometimes like pointing it out that you think someone might have an eating disorder is more harmful because it encourages someone to be even more secretive about it because mm-hmm. if you're pointing it out to them, what that tells them is that they're not doing it well enough to be not uh, not noticed. noticeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's always, I think, worth opening the floor. Like, hey, would you like to talk about this? But um, anything that could be, like, seen as accusatory or, like, I can tell that you blah, blah, blah. Like, which mm-hmm. I have, I am guilty of doing to some of my friends who... I think they have disordered eating, and instead of just being like, hey, if you ever want to talk about this, I'm here to, I'm, I, like, point it out, which is, like, ugh, so fucking unhelpful. <laughs> like, oh, God! <laughs> but, again, it's like, if someone was in the evangelical church and was trying to talk to me, I'd be like, I don't have a lot of room to be polite to. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but that I that's something I've learned too in this kind of the last few months as we've been talking more about this is that pointing out that you think someone has disordered eating is probably one of the least helpful things you can do for them yeah I mean a lot of times I think it's because it's often coming from people who aren't close enough to be having that conversation too yeah it's like okay if you notice it in a coworker. Like, it may not be your specific place to reach in and say something, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, do you even have that relationship to begin with to where they would want or need you to say something? And the answer is no. Like, maybe just find a gentle way to do something else that is more supportive rather than just saying, like, hey, we're going to talk about your disordered eating at work in the lunchroom. <laughs> it's real? like, no, no we're <laughs> please not. stop. And especially because, like, most of those conversations – in my experience, the tactic I'm using, not intentionally, but it's still the case, is shame. I am trying to, like, mm. show them that they're doing something wrong and that they need to stop doing that. And that mm. always involves shame of some kind. And as we have stated, the least helpful thing you can do regarding bodies. Shame equals not good. Yeah. Like, stop. <laughs> That's what this podcast people. is really about, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think to myself often that amazing thing that your mom says, which is guilt and shame are useless emotions. Mm-hmm. Stop using them, people. She does say that all the time. Good job, Mary. Yeah. I love Kate's mom. Shout out Thank to you. Mary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's great. So I rated this book yes. uh, 40 plus, which was the uh, size that she said that clothing sizes need to go up to at least. Yes. So that was my rating for this. If I had to choose out of something um, just as a reference point, not mm-hmm. because this is where clothing sizes should end, yes. <laughs> would be out of 50. Because nice. I did have a little bit of like, didn't always love the way she wrote and just mm-hmm. a, a couple of like nitpicky things like that but I do think that this book is a a magnificent feat in that I've never read another book that I can compare it to Uh, most other books about fatness are straight up memoirs which are fine and valuable in their own right but are very different than having something that's part memoir and a significant portion of it is just straight up research and argument yeah yeah which says we've I think we've said that was our our favorite part of the book was like the Mm -hmm. very thoughtfully researched information that she presented to support her own experiences and why we need to change as a society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Well, we did not pick the same rating scale, which is awesome. Yay. Okay. At the beginning, we thought we had picked the same one because we both were struggling so hard to figure out how to rate this. Yeah. My, one of my first thoughts was like, I'll use like a BMI rating. And I was like, what are you fucking talking about? (laughs) I know. I was like, Weight Watchers points. Then I was like, girl, did you read the book? (laughs) So what I chose is um, I'm giving this book 3.5 out of 5 melons that Aubrey Gordon is absolutely fucking allowed to eat, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) She should have as many melons as she wants to have. (laughs) Melon gate is over for Aubrey Gordon. (laughs) So again, yeah, I didn't give it like a four or a five out of five because I did have some critiques with the way she writes um, and some of the way she approaches her arguments I felt could use some work so love mm-hmm. the research and her overall like goal um but I felt the execution could use some adjustments mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I look forward to reading her future books because as a first book, this is really promising. And I hope that she continues writing and continues uh, doing so in a book format in addition to her blog. Totally agreed. Uh, So our pop culture pairings, I am going to recommend Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs podcast maintenance phase, which is all about debunking wellness and other diet trends. Uh, It's really fascinating. It's very validating if you're somebody who is anti-wellness, anti... (laughs) That sounds crazy to say. Anti-wellness. I am anti-wellness, okay? (laughs) (laughs) The anti-wellness industry, i.e., what's her name? Gwyneth Paltrow and her eggs you're supposed to shove up yourself. No, thank you. Uh, so yeah, it's very validating. It's great. It's funny. It's interesting. And they talk about a a wide range of different topics related to wellness and dieting. Yes. Um, okay. So my recommendation is I am trying to pull it up on my Instagram because I forgot to write it down. So I have found on TikTok and Instagram, a lot of great resources of women who practice yoga in fat bodies. So the first one that I'm going to mention, her name is Tiffany Crow, and that's Crow with two W's. She is a fat woman who practices yoga and shows you how to, how it is possible to practice yoga in a larger body and how to adjust certain poses to accommodate that. As I've said, I have a straight-sized body, and there's lots of, like, yoga things that, like, my body just can't do because my my hips are, are bigger, like, my butt is bigger. Like, some of the things, it's like, I literally can't, okay? There's too much <laughs> mass here. So can you give me a yes. different option? And these uh, practice uh, people who practice yoga are, are good at giving you options for, like, how to make it work with your body if it's not the, like... <laughs> body that co-opted yoga which is that of a very thin white woman that's great that one that i mentioned tiffany crow she is a white woman but there are some other good ones that are women of color that i think is really important to highlight as well that i can add into the show notes yeah we'll link all of those yeah, I love that. I, as a, this is not the same thing, but as a tall person who's tried to do a full push up my whole life, I'll never get there. My body's not made for that. I'm so no, sorry. I can't do like happen. a pull up of any kind. I'm a very strong person, mm. but a lot of my strength is in my like quads. And mm-hmm. I can't lift that with my arms. Stop yep. telling me that it's possible. <laughs> so mad about it. <laughs> it's like I did that push-up last year for nothing. Blair, it's a 30 Rock quote. I'll link in the show notes. <laughs> We're going to go now. Yeah, okay. Uh, We're enough of um, Well, I digress. Tune in again next time for more of our bullshit. Thank you.